have a Bible, I would invite you to please turn to the Old Testament book of Daniel, chapter 1, which would be page 624 and 25 in our church Bibles. That would be of some help to you. Daniel chapter 1. We read the whole chapter last time. We're just going to read one verse um, this time to set us on our way as we complete the first chapter. And while you're turning there, just to remind you, we do have a newcomer's lunch. And if you've never been to one, we'd love to see you there to enjoy some food with you and your company. And if you have questions about the church or about things that are taking place here, we'd love to try to answer them for you. So just keep that in mind as the morning progresses. Okay, let's read verse 8. We'll start there. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Amen. We thank God for his word. And now let's ask God for his help as we study his word together. Let's pray together, please. God and Father, you are mindful of the weight and the value of this moment. You are going to speak to us as your word is open and explain. Therefore, Father, we ask that you would please, please help us to listen, to speak, to consider, and humbly obey. Make much of yourself this morning and grant that we would bow down before you. For unless we become as little children, we will never be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. Help us then to find our peace and assurance in your protection so that we stop trying so hard to protect ourselves. Hear our prayer, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Calm down and do your duty. Hold to the line and take great courage no matter what because your God is powerful and your God is sovereign and therefore even in the face of difficult circumstances which seem against you, perhaps even caused by you, still as God's people, we can trust him completely. Now, if you weren't here last Lord's Day, what I just said is the central message of the whole of the book of Daniel, and that's how we ended our studies last time. Because the whole book opens up, chapter 1, with what seems like the worst of times for the people of God. You'll see this if your Bible's open. They have, uh, their king has been vanquished, They are taken from their homes and to all but the eyes of faith. The one God of Judah has been soundly defeated by the many gods of Babylon. Therefore, they are living under occupied rule as a result, we learned last time, of their disobedience to God. They are homeless and on the human level, they appear helpless and they're in captivity. However, we in the original audience of this book, the exiles, and and by the way, let's remind ourselves straightforwardly here, if we're going to understand Daniel correctly, we need to know what it would first mean to them before we can even begin to understand what it means for us, right? That's a basic rule of biblical interpretation. To them first, original audience, before we can make application for us. This is why people go astray in Daniel. They forget that. 
Nevertheless, we only need to come to the second verse and we discover that the Lord was the one who had delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. It was God. And right up front, verse 2, God gave. Verse 9, God caused. Verse 17, God gave. Same Hebrew word in each of the verses. God is the issue here. God is behind all that is taking place. So we need to understand, Daniel wasn't a great young man because Daniel was a great young man. Daniel was a great young man because the grace of God was given to him. The same grace, by the way, but actually more complete each of us have if we belong to Jesus Christ. Isn't that what Jesus said? Matthew eleven eleven. He's talking about John the Baptist. Truly, I tell you, among those born of a woman, there has never one risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Okay, so John the Baptist is greater, greater than every Old Testament character there was. Jesus goes on, yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven, new covenant, is greater than he. There were some great guys and great girls in the Old Testament. I'm thinking of Moses and Noah and Job. Least in the kingdom, greater than Daniel. It's good news. And one of the things which will help us understand Daniel just a bit better is there was a prophecy in Jeremiah chapter 24, which spoke to exactly what was happening here in Daniel chapter 1. So Jeremiah 24 basically says, Jeremiah has a vision of two baskets of figs. One basket, he says, is very good. The other is very bad. And the interpretation which God gives to Jeremiah is simply this. He says, the good figs, the ones who are under my blessing, the ones who haven't occurred occurred my wrath, my, my true remnant, they're in Babylon. They're in Babylon. Now, we're not used to this kind of thing. We think of defeat and being driven out and to lack and to be put down in trouble as a bad thing. And many of us might run to the Christian bookstore to try to wiggle out of that thing. So what we need then is a word from God. We need the word of God to to open our eyes. Therefore, God says to be left in Jerusalem, that's to be under God's wrath. And those who left for Jerusalem, uh, for Egypt. And so they were thinking, you know, we're pretty smart people. We want to protect our way of life. We want to protect our assets. And we can see trouble coming, right? So we're going to go to Egypt, cover our, our assets, protect them, protect our way of life. God says, no, no, you're actually under my wrath as well. I mean, and I'm sure the the Egypt group thought they were pretty clever. No pain. We're going to protect our stuff. We're going to protect our way of life. Is that Pilgrim's Progress, worldly wise men, portly fellow? No. But God took his own chosen remnant actually into Babylon. And he's protecting them there. He's nurturing them there. He's helping them there. And he has a work for them to do there. So there's good to be done by God's people in this hostile land where there's just so few of us. Just as there's good to be done in the midst of our pain and our suffering and seemingly poor position, whether a local Christian or a national Christian or an international Christian. Exiles of a culture. The Christian way doesn't fit with the world's way. And it will not involve executing a plan for the people of God to try to take over the government nor run from their pain or try some terrific new plan to discover that they're, be- they're better than they ever thought they were. No, you are there because God has put you there. 
Now you live for him there. So some of us might be thinking, well, usually when we think of Babylon, we think bad and rightly so. Pretty much from Genesis all the way through the end of the Bible, Revelation, Babylon is bad. But here, we don't need to think that way. Here, Babylon is part of God's plan to save the world. It's good that God's people are in exile. See? It's good that God's people are suffering. It is good that an innocent young man at around 33 years of age dies naked on a cross. He's innocent. No, it's still good. God's going to save the world through this young man's pain. James chapter 1 verse 2, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. J.B. Phillips translation, don't welcome the trials, or excuse me, don't, don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. The words of Jesus, happy are those to be in an enviable position are those who are persecuted because of their devotion to me. We went on and we learned that the pagan king with his pagan mind, verse 4, you can see this, he simply looked with his eyes. That's how he decided things. Appearance to him was everything. He looked with his eyes to decide with his mind. No God's word, no God's truth. No, I'm going to look with my eyes so that I can decide with my mind. Exactly the opposite of Isaiah chapter 11 and the prophecy of our Lord Jesus Christ, the, the root from the stump of Jesse. And the prophecy says, he will be filled with the spirit of God and he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. Aren't you glad that Jesus, let me just speak for myself. I'm so glad that Jesus looked at me and didn't judge me by what he saw with his eyes. Pagan mind, verse four, eyes only, the stuff of the flesh. No word from God, no truth from God. Just give me the best of the best. Young men, super terrific, super smart, handsome champions, cream of the crop who can hang with the king. And with that, then the king begins to execute his wicked, evil plan. And of course, this is how the kingdom of evil works. Soften up the flesh and then begin to attempt this uh, uh, incorporation of these young men. And by the way, they were somewhere between the ages of 14 and 20. So we want them to think like us. Education, verse 4b, language and literature of the culture. We want them tied to us. Uh, Identification, verse 6, their previous names identified them with the God who made and sustained them. So Daniel's name is God is my judge. However, their new names... All have the names of pagan gods planted firmly in them. So again, Daniel's new name was Belshazzar. Bel protects his life. And you can see there that the young men take no stand against the education. And they take no stand against this identification. But they do, however, take their stand when it comes to verse 8, the royal food and wine of the king. In other words, assimilation. Right? And apparently... This little mealtime was more than just food and drink to Daniel and his friends. So again, the four young men accept their education, no problem there. They accept the new names. But Daniel, leading the way, held the line when it came to the changing of their core, this meal thing, and this assimilation. Name change, on what level, is simply external. The educational process could be filtered through the law of God, which these young men knew very well. They were probably schooled under King Josiah's revival when King Josiah brought back the law of God to the people of God. So they were grounded in God's truth, even as little children. So their lifestyle, their core is where they hold the line. And that's where we kind of left off last time. So if you have a worship folder, we have three little words to kind of 
walk us through here. Conviction, compassion, and clarity. First phrase then, conviction. So we ask ourselves the question, what's happening here? Why won't they eat the king's food? And why won't they drink the king's wine? Why? Well, we may know what we've been told, for example. They're not eating the food and they're not drinking the wine because the Levitical law of the Old Covenant had said any food dedicated by or into a pagan system, that was not to be touched. But of course, the vegetables that they ate would have also been dedicated to the Babylonian gods. Or perhaps since it was the actual food and actual drink of the king and in an Old Testament context to eat a meal from your enemy and eat a meal with your enemy was in a sense a last step of assimilation from going all in. You're accepting them. Because any covenant in the Bible was, was cut always with a meal. So think of the Lord's Supper, right? The main sign that God has given us of the great work of Jesus on the cross is that we share in this meal together of bread and, and juice. And the bread and juice proclaim the cross and it proclaims that our unity is not based on our performance but on the righteousness of Jesus. So, so maybe for Daniel, a meal with the king means acceptance of their way of life and he will not go there. Or it could be that the king's table was the party table, Right? Everyone hap, hap, happy. Young men and their chemistry all fired up. And we all know how beautiful those, those Babylonian women are, right? And how could Daniel and his friends be part of that? They're in a foreign land. They're under foreign rule. They're mourning. Psalm 137, they're mourning as they remember Zion. Or, since worldly ease and pleasures that kind of dulls the senses... And, and is the great enemy of faith and faithfulness. Who said that? Well, Jesus said that, right? This is the parable of the soil. Soil number three. Life's worries, life's riches, life's pleasures, and the desire for other things comes in and chokes the seed and makes it unfruitful. So this kind of way of life would set in kind of a spiritual atrophy, And they would become useless and even less useful. So God maybe gave Daniel wisdom from his word. Ecclesiastes 7.2. It's better to go in a house of mourning than to go in a house of feasting. Right? Why? Well, because everybody's going to die. And we should take that to heart. Or how about this one? Proverbs 15.17. Better a small serving of vegetables with love than a fatted calf with hatred. So our question, why no food and, and, and drink of the king, needs to be answered. And some of you might be thinking, well, this is kind of a strange place to hold the line, food and drink. So we're not exactly told, are we, why Daniel does this. So, so we need to be careful. We do know that one of the distinguishing features of the people of God in this old covenant was mealtime. I mean, all of us understand how great our dinner tables can be and how horrible our dinner tables can be. And so this mealtime feature was not simply some kind of external distinguishing feature which meant nothing to them. No, these external features were their practical way of expressing that they had a deeply held conviction about what it meant to belong to God in the old covenant. 
And so apparently there was a point for Daniel in which he said, okay, I can deal with the education, no problem. I can deal with the alteration of my name. But here, verse 8, here is where I hold the line. This meal speaks something to me which I will not hold to, so I will not eat it. Now, please, please, please listen carefully. True faithfulness in the Scripture is first exercised in the very small things and typically in private. And if we fail there, any faithfulness we reveal publicly will more than likely be hypocrisy, will more than likely be a performance for the crowd and not hard in loyalty to the Lord. And the Lord God will be the only one who honestly knows it. Right? In the dark, when we are tested, that's for real. In the light, we could be simply playing to the crowds, a performance for applause. So for these young men, the pressure to conform is very real. Their conscience, which was educated by God's word, was healthy. And it was under attack. So this is a very first test for these guys. A small one in comparison to what's coming. Yet here is where they hold the line. So we can't be exactly sure why no king's food and why no king wine. But this is what we know. They knew that if they would have shared in this meal, it would have meant a total rejection of their own ability to follow God faithfully. Now, did you hear that? Okay. It would have meant a total rejection of their ability to follow God faithfully. So, there may have been no real wrong from eating the king's table, at the king's table. He could have picked around and all that kind of stuff. But, but they had a conviction that if they were going to be faithful and fruitful to God in this foreign land then they couldn't eat the king's food and they couldn't drink the king's wine. Let's make some application. What are the temptations that we face? Because they are there, and if we don't think they're there, we're in a difficult place. What are the temptations we face to assimilate? Families, singles, my retired friends, empty nesters. How much assimilation is happening? So what we will do, it may not be technically sin, But it keeps us from being faithful and it keeps us from being fruitful in the things which matter most. You know, the tricky thing about living in a small town, and by the way, I think it's a great pleasure to live in a town like Grand Rapids and the county and so on. But the tricky thing about living in a small town is sometimes Christians think, well, you know, we're in a small place. So since we're in a small place, God probably won't do much because we're in a small place just follow that out so does that mean that God's more concerned about a bigger place than a smaller place so population's over what 50 100,000 and that's where God's going to be and if we're here well then we're out of luck (laughs) is that how God thinks Might might be how we think but God doesn't think that way so again how are we going to be faithful how are we going to be fruitful there's going to be some things okay on your own there's going to be some things that's why I didn't give you a list That you're going to say, this keeps me from being fruitful and this keeps me from being faithful to God. And like Daniel, this is where I take my stand. Second question. Why vegetables and water? Okay, because this is where the silly people write their silly books and preach their silly sermons. Telling us, okay, you want to feel good? And you want to look good? You want to grow spiritually? 
and you want to get it even closer to God, then good golly, Miss Molly, get on the Daniel diet, right? So I googled Daniel and diet. There's the diet, the Daniel plan. There's the Daniel diet. There's the Jesus diet. And there's even the what would Jesus eat plan. I looked at it. It's pretty boring. But anyway, sorry, Jesus. <laughs> okay, I'll probably pay for that one later. But that, that'll be me and Jesus. Okay. You want to say, really? Here's some important scriptures you might need to jot down. Mark chapter 7, Acts chapter 10, 1 Timothy 4, 3, and Romans 14, 17, which says, The kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Colossians 2, 16, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or by what you drink. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality is found in Christ. See? So, okay, so we still got to answer the question, why vegetables and water? Actually, that's our second point, compassion. Okay? And you'll see this in verse 9, if your Bible is open, that the same God who delivered Daniel and his friends into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar is the same God who gave the officials in charge favor and sympathy towards Daniel. Now, that's no small thing, because as this whole thing unfolds, you do not have the impression that Daniel and his friends were agitators. They were rebels. They were like freedom fighters, and that's how they got their veggies, right? So they were willing to cause strife, to, to get their way, kind of backhanded, politicking way. They were not like that. They were good boys. They were polite. They were bright, and they loved the law of God, and they followed the chain of command even in a foreign land. Therefore, when they finally take their stand in that foreign land, God gave them favor and God gave them sympathy through this pagan overseer. Okay, so why veggies and why water? Is that really the Bible way? Is that really the best way? Now, you, I want you to think with me because this is proper biblical interpretation, okay? So I want you to think with me. It's clear that Nebuchadnezzar, as the king, verse 4, was tremendously concerned about appearances. And it's clear, verse 10, that Daniel's new friend, the king, the king's overseer, was honest about the whole mealtime thing. This is what he said. I'm afraid of my lord, my king, who has assigned you food and drink. Why should he see appearance? You looking worse, appearance? Than any other young man your age, the king would have my head because of you. So that's clear. And it's clear that Daniel is not an agitator. He's, he's a man of compassion. He's not a rebel rouser, right? For even as he held to this food and drink conviction, verse 8b, do you see it there? He asked for permission to hold to his conviction. I mean, that you should just be going, oh, are you kidding me? He asked for permission to hold to his conviction. That doesn't sound uh, very Christian to me. We're going to take our stand. It's incredible. It's incredible. So the whole veggie and water thing is pretty simple. And it's actually pretty clever of Daniel. This is Jesus, right? Uh, Wise as a serpent here. Harmless as a dove. Okay. If the king is only really into appearances, and he is... And the overseer is worried about Daniel's appearance, and he is. Then Daniel, in a very kind and compassionate way, right? Big lesson for those of us who who are troublemakers in the life of other people because we are so disorderly. No, verse 12, please. See it there? Please. So Daniel says it is only about appearances. Verse 12, let's just do a 10-day test. Please, 
veggies and water, 10 days, and then let's compare skin. Right? Let's just, let's compare skin. Let's compare uh, appearance. So, you know, you think about this. We should laugh this whole thing off. I mean, this is the issue. Men's skin. Appearance is the issue. Right? Nebuchadnezzar is being true to form to ancient kings. They wanted happy people around them. They wanted beautiful people around them. It's basically what they wanted smart people, but not at the expense of the beauty and the joy and all that kind of thing. So is it any wonder that the Babylonian Empire had to be uh, delivered into their hands? (laughs) Right? No wonder God had to deliver Jehoiakim into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar probably didn't want to break a nail, break a sweat, you know, whatever. Because all it is to him is about appearance. So you then have people who look at the veggie thing and, and say, well, you know what? Let's take the veggies and let's take the water and turn them into some spiritual extreme. Dare to eat like Daniel. Right? Do you, do you not read the text? They were not thinner. They were actually fatter. Verse 15. The meaning of the word, verse 15, better nourished, is actually plump. Which is why some translations, uh, King James, ESV, fatter in flesh. Fatter in flesh. So you see, we're so gullible here at times. I mean, come on. And people try to sell the Daniel diet stuff, skin only, appearance. You see, the whole issue here for these Nebuchadnezzar people, the Babylonians, is, is only about appearance. That's it. And if this pagan king cares only about appearance... Fine, says Daniel. Fine. Let's, let's just do this vegetable thing. And loved ones, God has to show himself strong here. God was the one who changed their appearance. I can guarantee you it wasn't the diet. It wasn't the diet. And every time Daniel would look in the mirror, they would remind themselves, Daniel and his friends would remind themselves, God is no man's debtor. And God will show himself strong. And Daniel writes, remember, he's writing to these exile readers. And he's saying, look, your God is strong. Your God is strong. And loved ones, our God is strong. Behave that way. We complain and we bemoan as if that was our native tongue. When our God is strong. Fatter flesh because of vegetables and water. How does that happen? It's a miracle. My son, who I love so much, he's so neat. About every six months, he's on a new diet plan. Two weeks ago, God is my witness. We're FaceTiming him. There he is in all his little wonder. And there's his face. His mother... Looks at him and says, oh, Jared, you look so wonderful. His father said, Jared, because his father doesn't look wonderful. Jared, what's your secret? You ready? He goes, oh, yeah, I'm on a new diet. Oh, really? What's your diet? Well, it's a protein and fat diet. I can only eat protein and I can only eat fat. True. Hmm. I had another story, but it was about me, and I tossed it. Jared's much better. So this is what I don't want you to miss. I don't want you to miss the picture. We go in it with our minds, and we think it's vegetables, and it's food, and it's all that stuff. No, here's the better thought. Look how kind these fellows were to each other. Look how Daniel follows proper lines of authority. He wasn't whispering things behind people's back to save himself or to get his way. 
And the knowledge given by God to Daniel and the apparent miracle that God then God did got them out of the pickle by playing along with this little skin game. I mean, I love that. They're just, if that's what you want, then that's what we'll give you. It is so counter to a sizable segment of Christianity these days. Right, let's take them on. Let's fight. And we'll change things. We'll change things. In my devotional reading this week, I was reading John's Gospel, chapter 8. Jesus tells the Jewish people that he is God. They don't like that. They pick up stones to just pelt him. But look what John says. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. So I was curious about this, and so I looked at the Greek, and in the Greek, it's a play on words. It would read something like this. Jesus hid, and he slid. Now, are you tracking with me? Hey, kids, dare to be like Jesus. Trouble comes, hide and slide from your enemies, because that's what Jesus did. Now, you know, and I know, that's not going to sell a whole lot of t-shirts. Hide and slide like Jesus, right? But Jesus understood something. There is a bigger issue here. I need to get to the cross. I need to get to the cross. So I'm going to hide and I'm going to slide this time so that I can get to the cross. Daniel, by dint of principle, is the same way. God has put me here for a reason. I do not believe it's to die at the king's table. So I'm going to hide, if you would, and I'm going to slide. And I'm going to keep living because God's got work for me to do. So will you notice by an act of God, the overseer had a civil and honest conversation with Daniel. And because Daniel was part of the people of God, Daniel went out of his way to do the right thing to protect this man. Again, verse 8, he asked for permission not to defile himself. Verse 10, he hears the man out. Verse 12, he says, please, please, let's just run a short test. Ten days, not too long. And let's see how things go. Sinclair Ferguson, in his commentary on Daniel, he allowed no harsh words to pass through his lips. He allowed no disorder. He followed the lines of authority correctly. He didn't skip a test, a step. You see, there is something very Christ-like about this. We don't need to be tasteless and tacky and sneaky or obnoxious or mean or cruel to be faithful to God. Because true faithfulness is not only a strong determination, because that could be nothing but just sheer stubbornness. Faithfulness is more the way we, how we stand firm and the spirit of which we do these things. Jesus, our example in everything. 1 Peter 2, 3. When they hurled insults at him, the perfect one, the guiltless one, when they hurled insults at him, he hurled lightning bolts it back at him. Is that what it says? No. When they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Okay, why? Well, he entrusted himself to him, God, who judges justly. And therein lies what was at the core of Daniel and at the core of Jesus. Will not the God of this world do right? Yes, he will. They knew They lived and they spoke before the judgment of God. They knew that they had no need to judge those that they were dealing with because God himself would be their judge. And they knew that this same God, he was going to judge them as well. 
Hence, in Daniel's case, the compassion, the please may I. Hence, may I please have your permission, verse 8b, to exercise my personal conviction. So the veggie diet plan people probably will say only care probably about one thing. And it's probably not a good thing. You know, I can look at this and say, this is, this is my conviction right now. Compassion, good manners, obeying your authorities, uprightness, kindness of speech, great compassion for sinners are greatly needed character traits in contemporary Christianity in the days that we live. That's my conviction. You're, you're sensible people. You can think that through. Verse 11, the 10 days pass. They look great. Better than the boys who ate at the king's table. The guard is no fool. Verse 16, you see it there? And in verse 16, you have probably every child's worst nightmare. Everybody has to eat their vegetables and everybody can only drink water, right? No more Coca-Cola, Joe. It's gone, right? You can't sneak a Snickers in from time to time. Nope, that's it. Because of Daniel, (laughs) veggies and water. And of course, that's what they do. The grace of God gave Daniel conviction. And the grace of God gave Daniel and his overseer compassion. Finally and briefly, Daniel. Third word here, clarity. And here we are again, verse 17. Do you see it there? The grace of God leads the way. This is not about Daniel. It's about God's grace. Verse 17. uh, To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding. And Daniel got a couple of more graces. Verse 18, the end of the three-year plan is here. The king's official was worried about losing his head. He's probably going to get a promotion because the program worked exceptionally well, 10 times better than the rest of the lot. That's verse 20, right? Verse 19, none were equal to the four. We'll call them the fantastic four. And the fantastic four were 10 times better than everyone and everything. I have never in my life been 10 times better than anybody at anything. So this was a great thrill for me to read this. And it's easy to think as, as the king saw the results, he would say to himself, well, well this is just an, an amazing training program, you know, that I developed and we're going to keep the thing going, right? We're going to keep it going. No wonder I rule the world. No wonder I am the king. He's going to deal with that in chapter four. But anyway, no wonder. You see, but what the king didn't know and what man as man does, does not know That it was God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He was the one in complete control. He had his hand in everything. God was in control of their relocation into Babylon. God oversaw their re-education. God gave them to take a, a, a stand, the grace to take a stand in their conviction. And loved ones, God gave them their wonderful complexion. And in everything, everything, God was working his purpose out. And what is true to form about God in the day of Daniel is true to form even more than in the day that we live in. So, you know, I don't know what stage you are in life or what chapter you are in life, but take as much encouragement as you need out of this. This is good news. This is good news. So, you know, we always say that the Bible is a book about Jesus, right? And so Daniel takes us to Jesus with no trouble at all. Daniel was taken away from his home into Babylon. 
Daniel was a stranger in a strange land. The Lord Jesus Christ, he leaves the glory of heaven. He enters enters into time and he stoops down into our broken world. Daniel, in the face of great temptation, he commits himself to God's truth and to God's will. He's prepared to live or die with the fallout of his choice. Jesus, in the face of his temptation, and even in the garden, he says, Hebrews 10, Here I am, O Lord, I've come to do your will. This is not about me, it's about your will. What is your will? I will do it. Daniel is raised to a place of distinctive usefulness. And Jesus is exalted to the highest place, the right hand of God. And he will come back to judge the living and the dead. You see, this is why I hate when we make the Bible all about us. So we dig in the Bible to find tricks and to find tips and to find techniques to make things a little bit better. Tell me what to do, God, so I can do it. Instead of, oh God, you are so powerful. You are so sovereign. You are so wonderful. Even in this great, difficult moment, I'm going to hold the line. And I'm going to trust you. And I promise you, God, with everything that's in me, I will not bemoan you. So the emphasis here then is not about diet. It's not about no wine or no big steaks or you can't eat cake. It's not about don't you want to be tough like Daniel kids? You want to be tough like Daniel and Daniel, Daniel, Daniel. Daniel would say why are you talking so much about me? The reason why I wrote this down was that you could understand that with the pushback of a secular world, uh, of being in exile in a strange place with all those worldly pleasures set before you and your own sin... That there is a God in heaven who controls all things for all time. And I trust him. And look how faithful he was to me. And I want you to trust him. I want you to trust him. Therefore, (laughs) calm down and do your duty. Hold to that Bible line and take great courage no matter what. Because your God is powerful and your God is sovereign. And we can add your God is so gracious. He is so gracious. Therefore, even in the face of difficult circumstances, some of which you might have caused, you're still God's people. And you can trust him completely. On this side of heaven, there's not a whole lot of better news than that. Thanks for your attention. I'm going to hang around here to answer some questions. And don't forget about the newcomer's lunch. Let's bow together and pray. Our God and Father, we would ask for Jesus' sake, for those of us who admit deep in our hearts that sometimes we have such trouble with you, that we don't like the way your providence unfolds, and we don't like your sovereign control over things, and, and we fight you. And we might not say it with lips, but we say it in heart. We say things like, you're not fair, God. And why are they getting that and I'm getting this? And all those things that we, at least in my own mind, I I would admit to. We don't want to be like that. We want to be like Daniel. We want to be like Jesus. We want to think clearly and correctly and be faithful in the good places and in the bad places. We want to be like Jesus kind and compassionate to our enemies. We want to be careful so that in the place where you put us, whatever that, wherever that is, we would do the good 
Ephesians 2.10, that you have planned for us. Please make this so. We are dependent on you, God, for everything. Have mercy and bless your people greatly today. For Jesus' sake, amen.